0: Romans chapter 8 and Acts chapter 13. Romans chapter 8 and Acts chapter 13. I, well, let me give you the text scriptures in Romans chapter 8 first. Verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16 tells us how he's going to lead us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. I heard my first sermon on uh, a sermon on faith in 1974 it was the latter part of the year and um, it was a tape by brother Hagen and I was intrigued the idea that you could have what you say was so foreign to anything that I knew as far as my Christian experience and the church I went to and so forth I wouldn't have even known that, ver- that verse of Scripture was in there, talking about Mark eleven twenty three. 23. And I'd like to say that it changed my life just overnight. I'd like to be able to tell you that as soon as I heard that, I recognized that was the truth, and this was the message for me, and I jumped in with both feet and began to uh, gather up and get all the information that I could. But that's not what happened. It took about two years for me to knock the uh, the edges of the world off of me, to where I could really commit myself and go after the things of God. You ever seen a boat that had barnacles on it? Well, that's kind of what our lives are like when we assimilate to the world. Even when we hear the truth of the word, it takes a while to knock some of those barnacles off. In John chapter 11, Jesus called Lazarus forth from the tomb and said he came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and Jesus said loose him and let him go now when Lazarus was raised from the dead he's come back to life but he's still wearing the grave clothes that he had when he was dead and I think it's a lot that way with us sometimes at least in the beginning it was with me at least there were just a lot of things that I was committed to concerning my own plans for my life and things I thought I wanted to do and things that I wanted to pursue and so forth. And it took a good two years before I came back around. I'd I'd hear these uh, messages and things about faith and and so forth sporadically, not very often, but every now and again. And um, it took about two years to come to the point where I was tired of trying to make my own plans and pursue whatever God had. I began to listen, study the Word, really read along in the Bible with what Brother Hagen was preaching and teaching. I didn't know anything more than just doing that, just following along as far as studying the Word. If somebody had told me to study the Word, I wouldn't know how you go about it. And I've gained some good information and um, the Lord began to open my eyes to some things. But it was tough. It was difficult. It took a commitment. And there were were several times where I gave up on it because my faith didn't work as quickly as I needed it to. And I found that whenever I gave up, the Lord let me give up. It wasn't like he was there patting me on the back saying, come on, Mike, you can do it. I had to get to the place where I was more dissatisfied with giving up than with pursuing the truth. And the things that I learned in those early days about faith, I had the only tape series I had, six tape series called The Mountain Moving Faith. So the only thing I had access to was listening to sermons about faith. And I did. I finally got to the point where I wore those things out. I had to believe God that they would continue to work when I put them in the cassette Recorder. I can't tell you how many times those things unwound in my recorder. Remember those cassette tape things and how they worked? You had to pull them out carefully and then rewind it and get your pencil and put it in the middle, sprung, whatever it is, and try to get back to working condition. And without a doubt, the subject of faith began to take root in my heart. And it changed my life. But then several years later when I wound up being at Ramah, finding that that's what God had for me to do, and maybe I should qualify that or clarify that, he never told me to go. I just happened to be there during a time when the the, uh, seminar was going on in the middle of the winter, and I noticed that the people that were there all had something that I didn't have. Now, at that time, I already knew some things about faith. I'd been through the faith series, tape series that I had numerous times. And so I knew the mechanics. I knew the rules. But that was about it. But there was something that the people at that place had that I didn't have. And I reasoned out, since I recognized it was something that I wanted, I reasoned out, well, if everybody here has it, this must be the place to get it. Now, what was it? I didn't know. But when I wound up being a part of the school, started attending classes, and then especially after the Lord put some things together where I began to work with Brother Hagin, gained a little bit of a personal relationship with him, there was a message that he taught. And honest to goodness, folks, at that time, I didn't even know the subject. I didn't know the tapes existed. I didn't know the subject was even in the Bible. And it was how to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, the faith series, the teaching on faith, without a doubt, it laid a foundation and it changed my life. It gave me the principles to understand that life and death are in the power of the tongue. But when I heard him start teaching on how to be led by the Spirit of God, that set something off on the inside of me that nothing else ever has. That was quickened or made alive into my heart from a desirous standpoint, it created a spiritual hunger and a spiritual desire. I'd hear Brother Hagin saying things like, I haven't missed it in 60 some odd years or whatever his number was at the time. And just the idea that you could always know the will of God and walk in the will of God. I never knew anybody personally that did that. I didn't know any, if, if you had gone to the church I grew up in and talked about what does the Bible say, ask the question, what does the Bible say about being led by the Holy Ghost? Everybody would have been afraid of the words Holy Ghost and wouldn't even given your question any attention. So when Brother Hagin started unfolding the word, revealing to me, well, the Holy Ghost did, but he did it through Brother Hagin's teaching. It changed me. It lit a fire under me like nothing else ever has, maybe like nothing else ever will. And I finally came to the place where I realized that the book of Acts wasn't just history. The book of Acts is the blueprint for being fed, led by the Spirit of God. Did you find Acts 13 yet? Let's look a little bit at what the Bible tells us about this subject. Acts chapter 13. We know in verse, uh, or in uh, chapter 9 that Saul has met Jesus or meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He gets saved. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost when Ananias comes in, lays hands on him to receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. And then immediately he begins to preach about Jesus. All it took for for Paul to change from being the persecutor of the church to being the propagator of the church was to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew everything in the Old Testament about what the Messiah would do. Once he came to the realization that Jesus was him, then he became a mighty force for God. But he became a threat to the Jews. The fact that he was the foremost or one of the foremost Jews that were persecuting the church and now his life has radically changed just because he met Jesus... And finds out Jesus is alive. Then they took counsel to kill him. And so there was a period of time. We don't know exactly how long. Paul talks, about, talks to the Galatian church about being in Arabia. And the way that he says it. He's talking about the early part of his, his uh, Christian life. And ministry of the word. We don't know if he spent three years in Arabia. Or if he spent three years and then went to Arabia. There's a, a gap in time. As far as our understanding is concerned, we don't know exactly when Acts chapter 13 was. It's estimated by most Bible scholars that it was 10 years after Acts chapter 2. It's also estimated that Acts chapter 20 is 20 years after Acts chapter 2. Now, that may or may not be true. We don't have any way to definitively identify it. But Paul has been in the ministry for some period of time, and he's been alone with God. We know That by Acts chapter 13 he's received the revelation of the gospel that he identifies that the world would be judged by. We know he's in the office of a prophet, probably a prophet and a teacher, as are the others in this list. But however long he's been in the family of God or in the ministry, now things are about to happen for him. Verse 1. Now there were at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. So everybody in this list is going to be a prophet or a teacher or a prophet and a teacher. He mentions Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, folks, They have to know what this means. When it says the Holy Ghost said, there would be no reason to assume anything other than the Holy Ghost moved on one of these people, probably one of the other three that was either a prophet or a teacher, or a prophet and a teacher. It wouldn't make sense for the Holy Ghost to use Barnabas and Saul to tell them about what he's called them to. So apparently one of these other guys are moved on by the Holy Ghost and speak these things out. But notice whoever said it didn't say what they were called unto. So Barnabas and Saul must know what they've been called to do before the Holy Ghost ever moves on anybody in this meeting or in this setting. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Verse 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed into Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of Jews and had John, this is John Mark, to their minister. And then it tells about an event that happened. It wasn't the first place that they preached, but, one of the, but the second place, maybe the third place that they were at, they found this sorcerer that had a, a, a great influence on the administrator or the governor of the region that they were in. And you remember the story how that Paul looked at him and said, why do you subvert the things of God? The deputy or the governor is open to the gospel, but Elymas, this sorcerer, is, is holding him back, is speaking disparagingly apparently about Paul and Barnabas and the message that they have, the gospel that they're preaching. And so he looks at Elymas. well, let me just read it so I make sure I get it right. Verse 9, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O thou, and said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now, folks, I want you to realize this is not sickness. He doesn't have some kind of sickness that brings on blindness. God just drops a veil over him so he can't see for a period of time. Now, remember in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that Paul was blinded by the glory of the light of God. That wasn't sickness or disease. He couldn't see because of the brightness of the light. Even when God's passing judgment on people in certain situations, including this one, God never uses sickness and disease. It's not of him. There's no sickness or no disease that's ever of God. There are times where in in God's presence, people rebelled against God and the sickness of the world came upon them, but it wasn't because God put it on anybody. If Jesus is the healer, then God can't make people sick. They would be working contrary to one another. Then the deputy, verse 12, then the deputy, when when he saw what was done, Believe, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Well, the doctrine of the Lord must include power. If they're astonished at the teachings that they were doing, notice that it doesn't say that he was astonished at the the mist or the darkness that came upon Elamus. He said he was. It says that he was astonished by the doctrine. So Paul and Barnabas must be preaching the power in the name of Jesus in some way or another, which we would expect, I guess. So here we've got a, um, a power in operation the power in the name of Jesus that's in operation that's validating their ministry right out of the gate now it tells us about how Paul went to some other places skip down with me to verse 46 well let's back up to verse 44 and the next sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God but when the Jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now notice verse 47. You remember when we started the chapter, uh, chapter 13, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Like I said before, if they didn't know what they had been called to do, if God hadn't been talking to them about it beforehand, then they would have been without direction. But they knew what God wanted them to do. Acts chapter 13 in Antioch was just ascending them forth for something that they knew God had ordained for them to enter into. And notice here he tells us, Paul tells us in verse 47 what they were called unto. For so God, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. They knew that God was sending them to the Gentiles. So Acts chapter 13, the beginning part of Acts chapter 13, is just when he sent them forth into what he had called them to. He separated them under the ministry which he had for them. Now, I intended to go through each of the chapters and hit some of the high spots and talk about certain things. But I don't really think I want to use the time that way. It tells us about how that in Acts chapter 14, there were people that wanted to kill Paul and Barnabas, so they fled to other cities. It tells us in chapter 14, beginning in verse 7, that at Lystra they preached the gospel raised a crippled man up. Then it tells us that the Jews that were stirred up in Iconium, where they were trying to kill him beforehand, now they come over to Lystra, where they've had healings and miracles and the power of God on display, and they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Now, folks, the idea that they walked off and left him alive but just thought he was dead, that doesn't doesn't go with me. I just can't accept that. When it said they supposed him to be dead... I can't help but believe that they checked to be sure, because the last thing in the world they want is this guy to be a little bit left alive. So it tells us that the believers gathered around him, and that he was raised up, and then he went right back into the towns that he had, that his rock throwers had come from. And so the power of God, just city after city after city, no matter what trouble they're in no matter what difficulties they run into, the power of God always manifests to show that it's a greater power than whatever anybody's exercising against them. Now, chapter 15 tells us about the the council at Jerusalem. And the the setting uh, of this chapter was really very simple, and that was there were Jews that were come down from Jerusalem that were coming in behind Paul and Barnabas and their ministry to the Gentiles and demanding... In the name of the church. Demanding that the people keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. Talking about the Gentiles. They said that they had to keep the law of Moses even though Jesus had come. And they still had to be circumcised. And so it raised a, a big question. Big controversy. And so they all come together. Paul and Barnabas come down to Jerusalem. Where Peter and James and the other apostles are. And at this point in time in Acts chapter 15 apparently... James has been raised up as the pastor of the church. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Because he answers after hearing everybody's testimony, after hearing about the miracles and signs and wonders that were done uh, among Paul and Barnabas. He answers and said, this is what we're going to do. So he's obviously in a leadership position. So he identifies by the direction of the Holy Ghost that they shouldn't put any burden, that the church at Jerusalem shouldn't put any burden on the Gentiles other than to abstain from meat offered to idols, don't eat things that are strangled or with the blood, and to avoid fornication. So it was just the bare minimum that they were encouraging the people to, to enter into and to accept. And so it says that they sent with them, sent with Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Silas, as witnesses that this is what the church of jerusalem has ruled on it would have been very simple for somebody to accuse paul and barnabas if nobody else had been with them to accuse paul and barnabas of just turning around and going back to the city they came from and saying whatever they wanted to say without any evidence to back it up but judas and silas came from jerusalem with paul and barnabas and declared what uh what the the council had determined and it says that after a space well, let's just start reading in verse thirty two. It says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and comforted them, or confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren under the apostles. In other words, their job was finished, and so they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem where they came from. Notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I want you to realize that they're back to the city that they first started in. Now look at verse 20 uh, verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Folks, this is the beginning of the second missionary journey of Paul. Paul and Barnabas are going to part ways here, and the next few verses talk about that they want to take John Mark or Barnabas, uh, who was John Mark's uncle. Wanted to take him with them again. If you go back in Acts chapter 13. You'll find out that John Mark bailed on them. About the third place that they went to. He didn't last hardly any time at all. And so Barnabas wants to take him. Let's take him again. But Paul wouldn't have anything to do with it. Paul was a rough and rough and ready guy. You mess, him, mess over him once and that's it. No second chances with him apparently. So the contention became so strong that they parted ways they separated now folks i don't know who's at fault here but i've got to say i cannot imagine anything being so contentious between paul and barnabas who the holy ghost separated them separately uh, separated them equally of the ministry that he had planned for them to do to be apostles to the gentiles why would either one of these guys let something get in the way why would either one of these guys allow offense over john mark whether they should have taken him or whether they shouldn't have taken him i don't know but what in the world are these guys doing allowing god's stated plan to be changed because of their disagreements It's amazing to me how so many people allow offenses to take them out of the will of God. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So it says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them in Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And they went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Notice again verse 36. This second missionary journey which without question is the most important trip that Paul makes. No question about it. The second missionary journey changed the course of the world. It changed the geography of the gospel. They come to a place where they can go either to the right hand or to the left, literally east or west. And which way they go determines which part of the world would receive the gospel. If they go west, then the gospel spreads toward Europe as it did And America becomes the foundation, or Christianity becomes the foundation for the country that we know of as the United States of America. But if they went east, toward the Orient, then that part of the world would have become Christian and not us. The map looks the way that it does because Paul said, why don't we do this? Now you would think, I would think, that something that has that far reaching of an impact would be worthy of a vision. Or maybe another prophet saying, thus saith the Lord. Like in Acts chapter 13. But Paul doesn't even say, I've got a witness that we should do this. He just says, let's go check on the people that we've been to already. And it changes the face of the world. I think some of the greatest leadings of the Lord we have aren't even recognized as the leading of the Lord at the time. I, uh, when I heard Brother Hagin teaching on the, how to be led by the Spirit, And I began to devour everything I could get on the subject. And and to be real honest with you folks, at that time in those days, there was nobody else that was really teaching it unless they were disciples of Brother Hagin. I mean, it's not like there was a lot of information available in the church world to find out what the Bible says about being led of the Spirit of God. Hardly anything at all. It's not a put down. It's just the reality of the situation at the time. And so I studied and I studied and I prayed and committed scripture to memory and everything that I knew how to do. And it, it set a course for my life. I don't want to say it changed the course of my life because I was already on track before then. But it set a course for my life. Not just because of the teaching that I heard, but because I was close enough, had the privilege to be close enough to Brother Hagen to see that he lived what he preached. That's one of the frustrating things. You don't hear much about it anymore because he's already been in heaven for 10 years, something like that. How long has he been gone? 2003. Okay, 15 years, 16 years. Anyway, you don't hear many people talking about it anymore, but it was for a long time a point of contention with people that didn't agree with the teaching that he, that he ministered, the teaching that he taught, the doctrine that he shared. And I've never heard Brother Hagin say or do anything that wasn't backed up with the Scripture. You talk about somebody that was a stickler for the Word, that was him. But people used to criticize. And still, if you wanted to look it up, you can find a lot of the criticism is still there online. But the criticism that they leveled against Brother Hagen, I knew was wrong because I watched him live. It might have been more difficult to make a decision or come to a determination if I hadn't been close. And I realized that a lot of people didn't know him well enough to realize that he did live by what he preached. And you really don't know somebody just by hearing what they say in public. I've seen and heard a lot of people preach good things But then, with the close examination of their life, it's not there, it doesn't line up. See, the Bible tells us not only to judge teaching by the word, but judge fruit by the word. And I would much rather have somebody that came into our church and got into error on their doctrine, but lived a life of fruitfulness and character than to be the other way around. You can fix wrong doctrine. But oftentimes somebody with wrong character will infect a number of other people in the same way as themselves. It goes back to the original statement that Peter and John made in Acts chapter 3. When they were talking to the man at the beautiful gate, the cripple at the beautiful gate. He said, such as I have, give I thee. That's the only thing you're ever going to be able to give somebody else, folks, is what you have. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have character, you can't develop it in somebody else. It just can't be done. So I saw that Brother Hagin, as he said millions of times, lived with his spiritual antenna up. He was always seeking to know the will and the plan and the purpose of God. And I wanted that too. I wanted to take on the same thing, the same attitude toward it as he As he had and as he lived. And folks I can tell you. Beth and I have done that. Over the last 30, 31 years. Maybe longer than that. Well it's been a lot longer than that for me. But she was slow in coming around. I'm just kidding. But anyway. I'm here to tell you that I found out that what Brother Hagin taught was true. You can live your life in the will of God. If you keep your spiritual antenna up. And I'm not just talking about big things. I'm not just talking about ministry things. I'm talking about everything. God will lead you in some of the smallest ways that will probably surprise you. Because he cares about every part of your life. We're that way with our kids, aren't we? There's not a part of my life, a part of my kids' lives that I'm not interested in. Doesn't mean I approve of everything. Doesn't mean I I, I have to approve of everything. Everything but I want to be involved in every part of their life. Don't you? Don't you feel that way with your kids? Well, if we know how to be good parents in that respect to our children, how much more does God care about us? We had been gone from Brother Hagan's ministry, from working there for about a year, maybe a little bit more, a year and a half. And there was a church that uh, existed out in this area. And we were scheduled, still traveling, as I said, but we were scheduled to come back in to the church. We'd preached there once before, and we were scheduled to come back in. But in the meantime, something that I hadn't know, didn't know about and gained information by talking with somebody, a friend of mine, the church had run into some trouble, and people were scattered, and they were looking for a pastor. And my friend said jokingly, because of the difficulty that was surrounding the church and the hurt people and how everything had blown up so spectacularly and so forth, he made a joke about I needed to go there and pastor. And when he said that, that's exactly what dropped down on the inside of my heart. It was as if the Holy Ghost said through him exactly what God's plan was for us but he didn't know that it was God that was leading him to say it. And that was something we'd joke with each other about all the time. We'd be on the, the crusade bus traveling to California on occasion. Drive through on the, uh, what is it, Interstate 40 that comes across. And we'd go through Needles, California, or some apparently God-forsaken place. And we'd joke with each other about, you need to come here and start a church just because by the appearance it looked so horribly difficult. Well, he was making the same joke to me, but that's exactly what the Lord dropped down on the inside of my heart. I instantly knew that I knew that I knew that's what I was supposed to do. Well, since the situation was what it was with the church that we had ministered in once before, I just naturally assumed that that was the Lord telling me to take that church, gather, regather those people up together, and I thought we could hit the ground running. But the reality was they didn't, that church didn't want me. They didn't want me to, as the pastor. They found out through an interview process that they wouldn't be able to control me. And that was high on their list of criteria, I guess. And so that set us back a little bit when we found out that they had asked somebody else to um, pastor the church. Then I had to go back and realize or search out, investigate, what did the Lord tell me? See, in in a situation like that, it'd be real easy for somebody to say, well, I just missed God. That's not what he wants me to do. I guess we'll keep looking for what we're supposed to do. But I knew that God had spoken to me. I knew that, well, that's not the right way to say it. He didn't speak a word to me. He just dropped an inward knowing, an absolute knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be. But when I went back and remembered exactly what the Lord said to me, he didn't tell me to take that church. He said that I should come here and pastor. So long story short, we wound up coming out and starting our own church. The other church didn't make it six months. It had disintegrated again in a very short period of time. And it was better for us and better for the church that we have a situation where we had to trust God alone rather than look to people that had already established something before us. But folks, you can live your life constantly in the will of God. You know, one of the things that, uh, that surprised me here of, of the last couple of years, I've had occasion just recently to hear people's story about how they came to our church. There was one fellow and his wife that had already moved to this area and they were looking for a church and he had a dream. They hadn't been to our church, hadn't visited our church yet, before the dream I mean. And he had a dream of somebody preaching in the pulpit. Well, the next day or day or two later, whenever it was, they came to our church and I'm the guy he saw in his dream. Now, folks, tell me that that's not as supernatural as some of the things that happened here with Paul. And as I said before, I think some of the the greatest leadings of God are things that we just did, I hate to say unconsciously, but without knowing that it was God. I just talked to a fellow the other day. They'd been with our church for 27 years. And before they had even moved out here, they were living in Chicago and they were considering where God wanted them to be, where they wanted to start their medical practice and that type of thing. And so they were checking out our area, this area, but they hadn't made a determination, hadn't made a decision yet. And so they started praying about it And part of what they prayed about was the church. They recognized the value of a church home for their family to grow up in. And so the Lord told him. He said, you'll know the church I want you to be in. When somebody there tells you this phrase and gave him a specific phrase, specific information. And so they came to our church. And it wasn't even me that said what the Lord said somebody would say to them. It was somebody that was making conversation with them, welcoming them them as a visitor. And they said something that was totally by the Holy Ghost, not something you would expect anybody to say, especially not when you first meet somebody. But that was something that they knew, they knew, they knew. You know something else that the Lord told this guy? I love this. The Lord told him, You'll know the church by the fact that they say this. And then he said, and don't let anybody offend you in the leaving. And he told me this. He said this. He said, I've never been tempted to leave because you've offended me. I breathed a sigh of relief on that one. <laughs> Usually churches and uh, offenses in churches come back to the pastor. But he said this. He said there have been a couple of times, two different situations, two different people. He said, I came really close. I got to thinking, I just don't want to see them Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But I remembered what the Lord said. And then he said this. He said, neither one of those people are in our church anymore. And he said, I came really close on those two occasions. I came really close to leaving. And if I had left and then the other people left, what would have been the purpose for me going? It would have gotten them off track. Folks, what we do and how we do it is of critical importance. Being led by the Holy Ghost to do the right thing is serious business. Paul talked to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He talked to them them about the Lord's Supper. You remember he talked about for this cause, not discerning the Lord's body, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many die. Many have died prematurely. Being in the will of God determines how long you live. There's a a, a scripture in Proverbs that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One of the modern paraphrases, I think it's the Living Bible, but I might not be right on that. But one of the modern paraphrases says this, says it this way. Life and death are in the power power of the tongue. People have died for saying the wrong things. Now whether that's accurate according to the Hebrew language or not, that's exactly what that verse means. we're in a place now where our church is entering the grandchildren phase we've been around long enough that our kids and your kids may have been born in this church and now those children are getting old enough to where they're having kids we've got a debt to pay to those children and those grandchildren I not only want my grandchildren to grow up knowing the Lord I want your grandchildren to know the Lord too and when, I, when I'm talking about knowing the Lord, I don't just mean know about Jesus, know that Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean know what belongs to them. I mean know how good God is, how to access the things of, of the Spirit of God, how to be led by the Spirit of God in their lives, how to walk in health and blessings. I can't tell you how many churches that start off like, started off like ours is, started with the same foundation, the same knowledge of the Word of God that have gone in different directions, and now they're just trying to satisfy people with whatever they think they would enjoy hearing. God changed the face of the world by Paul saying, let's go back and check on the people that we went to before. No Holy Ghost. No prophecy. No thus saith the Lord. No dream, no vision, no angel. Just Paul doing what he thought was the right thing to do. Or what would be a good thing to do. But because he had committed himself to the things of God to such a degree that he was willing to be led by the Holy Ghost. Intent on being led by the Holy Ghost in whatever he did. God used him to establish the world as we know it today. Folks, can you imagine what the world would be like without America? Do you realize that America has been the supplier of missionaries to the rest of the world for several hundred years? It's such a frustrating thing for me when I see people Trying to give away the freedom that this country was established on. This argument that people are having between socialism and capitalism. Those things frustrate me to no end. I have to remind myself. God said that the end days would be perilous. And it's not about politics. It's about Jesus. But it doesn't keep those things from being frustrating. I don't understand how people aren't hungry for God. That's frustrating to me. How can people hear about the goodness of God and see it for themselves in the the Word and not be sold out completely and totally to Him? How do you do that? I've seen people leave our church over the years. And folks, don't get me wrong. Our church is not for everybody. I get that. Different churches are established for different purposes, different reasons and such. I get that. But what I don't understand is how somebody can leave our church and go to another church that I know is not preaching the truth. That I know is not preaching the word. That I know won't give their children and their grandchildren a foundation to live their lives on in the blessing of God. How do you do that? How do you hear the truth and then be willing not to listen to it? How do you do that? Folks, we need to live with our spiritual antennas up and ready. We need to live with the understanding that the Holy Ghost can and will lead us and show us what to do. Jesus said one of the things that the Holy Ghost would do would be to guide us into all truth. That word truth means reality. A work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all reality. Well, the reality of what? The reality of everything that belongs to us. The reality of what God has done through Jesus' sacrifice and His resurrection. The reality of healing. The reality of blessing. The reality of the Word of God. The reality of victory that Jesus won for us. God doesn't expect you to win a few and lose a few. He empowered you to win them all. I'm not willing to win a few and lose a few. Are you? That's so far less. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And boy, what a messed up group of people that was. But as messed up as they were, they had a consistent manifestation and flow of the Holy Ghost didn't keep them from being messed up. And they certainly didn't learn everything that they should have learned by the work of the Holy Ghost among them. But Paul upbraided them because they were living their lives as mere men. Mere men. In other words, you're living a natural life, Corinth. And there is so much more available to us than that. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious Holy Ghost who indwells us. Thank you, Father, that he leads us and he guides us. Father, stir us up stir us up to stir ourselves up so that we can ever be pursuing you. Father, at the end of Paul's life, he said the only thing he cared about was to know you and the fellowship of your sufferings. The only thing that he cared about after his many, many years in ministry Was to know you more. Father my prayer for each and every one of us. Is that we would all. Have that same desire to pursue you. To always gain a greater understanding of your word. A greater understanding of your will for our lives. A greater understanding. Of how we can be used of the Holy Ghost. May it ever be, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Say it with me, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Now say this after me, I am led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.